Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode. And joining us after a week-long absence attending the Admiral's Banquet is Lily. Oh, I, uh, hello there. And last but not least, you may know him from his calls to the best show. You may know him from his new EP, Not By A Mile. Joining us live from Canada... Alberta's greatest up-and-coming electronic artist, Bonaventure James, a.k.a. Jaron. Welcome to Hitting Play. Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm, uh, I'm blessed. I'm uh, honored to be here. I wouldn't be that honored, but thank you for joining us. This is, this is uh, it's really fun. This is the first time uh, we've been joined by a guest. I think this is my first international podcast. No, that's not true. That's not true. I was on a, uh, an Australian <laughs> podcast one time. but um, Oh, wow. Yes. Well, and you called the best show a few times, so... Ah, uh, that's true. Well, this week, we watched an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, more specifically the 158th episode, the sixth episode of Season 7, entitled Phantasms. And this is this was your pick, Jaron. Yes. We, we had talked earlier on uh, Twitter about uh, finding a very data-heavy episode, because uh, Data is my favorite character, he, him and uh, Jughead Jones are probably my favorite fictional characters of all time. <laughs> um, and so uh, Data is my favorite Star Trek character for sure. And I wanted to, I wanted to find a really interesting one that would be fun to talk about. Yeah, th- this was very interesting. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I'm kind of new to the whole Star Trek scene. I think my generation kind of missed the boat on it unfortunately because all of them to me are great series especially when i watched you know the pon far episode for a previous podcast (laughs) um but this this episode i really did enjoy it and but it it was very very odd (laughs) yeah i think this is about as weird as it gets for next generation right yeah they they start off a little bit weak uh, in season one and two and then i think it's kind of the general consensus that three and four are really strong. And then they hit, I think there was a writer's strike or they had some budget issues at some point. And there was like kind of a jump the shark moment. And this is definitely post shark, I would say. <laughs> but it's in a really fun way. Uh, and it kind of, there's just like a, there's just like fun quirky bits in this episode that I really like. I, I thought going into this, I thought it would be kind of hard to follow, but it actually ended up being a, a real piece of cake. Yes, Definitely. never mind (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i can't believe i that's all right right over my as it should have as it should (laughs) have there's there'll be a lot of cake references coming up oh my goodness yes i actually i had a question to ask later on when we got to that part but i guess i'll just ask it now in light of the cake references if you could be any kind of cake what flavor (laughs) of cake would you be (laughs) I would go with uh, coffee cake, probably. I really like coffee cake with caramel it's with caramel uh, drizzle. It's a good choice. Uh, I would go with something very bitter so people would stop <laughs> eating me. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I'd have to go with chocolate. I'm pretty boring. No, that's good. Vanilla is kind of boring. Yellow cake. Yeah, but I mean, it's a staples in some places. <laughs> as long as you, <laughs> as long as you're not mint frosting, that sounds disgusting. Yeah, it actually does. <laughs> like toothpaste. All right, so let's get right into this episode. Uh, this was written by Brannon Braga, a man who had written for other Star Trek series and movies and was actually the man that wrote Captain Kirk's death scene in Star Trek Generations, so not a guy too popular with the fans. And this was actually one of five episodes directed by Patrick Stewart, so he actually sat in the captain's chair and the director's chair for this one. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, we begin in this episode with a, a cold open, and Lieutenant Commander Data, played by Brent Spiner, he walks down a corridor on the Enterprise, and you might notice if you watched a few episodes of this show that the camera work here is a little different, and it's because it's one of the few episodes to actually use Steadicam, and that's probably a style we're more familiar with now with like The Office and Parks and Rec and shows like that. But it really does a good job of subtly suggesting that during Data's dreams, something is a bit off. Now, he encounters Geordi LaForge, played by LeVar Burton, and tells Data that they need to install the plasma conduit right away, and the new warp core will be brought online in less than three hours. 
LaForge yells, this ought to be a lot of fun. <laughs> In a very eerie fashion as he walks down the hallway. Yeah. Very ominous, especially as the Enterprise is always seen as very bustling. There's always people walking around. And um, there's always like ensigns and people, uh, background characters, and then there's no one. And then I think uh, Jordy LaForge is just kind of standing at, like against the wall as he kind of comes around this corner. And it's very unsettling. Yeah, I didn't even notice that too. Yeah, the hallways are just completely empty for these scenes. Hmm. Now, as he's walking, he stopped in his tracks by a ringing telephone. And this is something we're going to encounter throughout the whole episode. And he changes course, walks down another corridor. At the end of it, there's a large hole in the wall, and we see some workmen. They're almost like coal miners or something. Yeah, they're like vagabonds. <laughs> what are they doing on a spaceship? <laughs> and they're they're yeah. chipping away at the wall, and uh, the interior inside of the interior room is this warp plasma conduit. I always think it's funny um, if you watch through the whole series. Uh, there are these instances of kind of old timey characters that come up, and they're almost always very very generic and uh i always kind of wondered why that was well I, I as a kid like you know watching these episodes i, I it just kind of made sense but you know as i got older i was thinking why did why does all these old timey characters come up and i think it has something to do with just filming on the paramount lot yes and thinking probably. they can just like pick and choose like okay we need some we need something weird uh and <laughs> Rather than have to make up a new race or design a new costume, they can just go and grab some, uh, uh, you know, some coal miner outfits from <laughs> from some ancient production of yesteryear. Yeah, w wasn't there even like a Sherlock Holmes episode or something? There's quite a there's a few Sherlock Holmes episodes. Uh, Doctor Moriarty <laughs> uh, comes up quite a bit. Uh, there's also like a couple of Three Musketeers episodes. Um, the whenever they go to the holodeck, it tends to go to some old-timey era. <laughs> now, Data approaches these guys and asks if they have authorization to work in the area, and they ignore him, and he opens his mouth and emits a, a high-pitched tone. You can see that it bothers them. They stop and they approach him, telling him to be quiet, and they begin to tear him limb from limb, kind of a disturbing scene. Yeah, now, now, not knowing anything about the show and watching this, this is my first introduction to Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm like, oh my god, what am I in for for the next 45 minutes? But <laughs> Yes, he is an android, so it's not as gruesome, but still pretty disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, there are um, a number of instances where Data does kind of fall apart or, you know, they'll just randomly open up the side of his head. And uh, but this is definitely weird, just to see him go from nothing to they just tear him apart. It's very, very odd. And then they finally tear off his head, and that's when we, we see that Data was dreaming in his bedroom. He opens his eyes. Also, Data has a painting on a stand in his room. I thought that was kind of funny. It's a painting by uh, Dutch painter Piet Mondrian. He was a co-founder of the De Stiel movement, and it's a, a minimalist design. They have, they have large uh, empty spaces divided by black lines and accented with primary colors. And uh, I just thought it was funny because it's a style of art that I've always been fond of. But I guess it means I have the artistic sensibilities of an android, evidently. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting style for Data to be fond of. Um, but as a character, Data is very funny because he is always striving to be more human. And his approach to art is because he is so he's like technically a perfect human or physically and there are other episodes where he's often he, he'll paint or he'll do art and he'll represent it perfectly and everyone kind of remarks that well even if you copied this painting perfectly there's something missing and they're, they're always regarding data's art as lacking humanity mm -hmm. and it is kind of funny that they chose you know the the art that could, you know, is kind of easily rendered by a machine. Yeah, yeah. The the straight lines and the the squares of, of Mondrian, and it is interesting that uh, I did go to art school, and <laughs> he was also a, a favorite of mine. And now here I am, like obsessing over Star Trek: The Next Generation, <laughs> after all those hours I spent in art history class. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm there with you. And another interesting thing about this scene is that uh, data for some reason, sleeping. 
And there are a lot of other episodes actually where uh, they actually remark that Data doesn't sleep and that's actually really creepy. And he usually spends the time that everyone else is sleeping to, and I actually researched this, he normally does the Delta watch, I guess it's called, because the, the, the bridge is broken up into three eight-hour shifts. Uh, and maybe I'm misrepresenting the, uh, the, uh, the Greek symbol for it, but he'll do the third shift when everyone else is sleeping because he doesn't need sleep. Either that or he'll just spend, he spent a lot of the early episodes like just reading all of the books and all of, <laughs> you know, recorded history. But I guess they don't explain it now, but in my mind, Data has like read all of the possible books and, you know, read every single newspaper and is now bored with learning and is now trying, <laughs> trying sleep, as it were. That's funny. Now, they, they make reference to Dr. Soon. And he gave him a dream program. I guess this was, what, a few episodes previous to this? Um, Dr. Soon is Data's, the person who created him. And I don't think they actually talk about, in the previous episodes, about him having a dream program. But Data is very convenient in that whenever they kind of need to add a plot device, I feel like they can just write one in and say, oh, yeah, Data also has this capability. (laughs) Which he's apparently had for, like, nine months. Yes. (laughs) Has had 111 dreams. (laughs) Yes, it's it's very strange. Um, There are, I would say, maybe more interesting, uh, not more interesting, but maybe better episodes with Data where, you know, his humanity is more in check and is in question uh but this is really one where they just kind of go straight into left field with it i also thought it was strange that uh data sleeps with a blanket and it's just a very light sheet that just covers his body yes oh yeah so thin and when he flipped it over it almost looked like it was tin foily on the other side <laughs> yeah yeah like a reflective blanket or something like a heat reflective blanket or something yes as if and, you would need it and I can see I'm not, um, a, you know, someone who likes, you know, to point out errors in in science fiction. But, you know, this kind of begs the question, like, well, why why does Data need sleep? Why does he need to cover himself while he's sleeping? Because, you know, he can regulate his own body temperature so he wouldn't get cold. Uh, yeah. All these things. And, you know, it's so easy to say, like, oh, well, Data just wants to experience life as a normal human being. Yeah, I guess that's what the only thing you can chalk it up to, I guess. That's yeah, it's uh and he he's very convenient in that way. He, anytime you need like a a plot device, you just bring data in and and go for it. So we go right into the opening credits and when we return, we see the Enterprise is leaving a space station or a base and Picard begins an entry into the captain's log. It's Stardate 47225.7 and we uh, learn that the new warp core has been installed on the ship and they're about to begin a test. Captain Jean-Luc Picard, played by the great Patrick Stewart, enters the bridge and tells Riker that he's been invited to the annual Starfleet Admiral's Banquet. Must be a really fun time. <laughs> I feel similarly about chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's not happy about it. It's something that he's been able to avoid for the previous six years and I guess he's pretty much run out of excuses. And uh, I guess to him, it's just 50 admirals shaking hands and making dull conversation. This is like a weird B-plot that doesn't really... It kind of frames the rest of the action, but really goes nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Right. We don't even see it. Not to spoil the episode, but we don't we don't get to go to the admiral's ban- banquet at the end. Yes, and I was so looking forward to uh, <laughs> the dull conversation and handshaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do really like the... Star Trek formal wear that uh, the Picard will wear when there's a visiting dignitary, which I, I always like it when he is because it's kind of like a dress almost <laughs> compared to his regular uniform. And I always like it when it comes out. But uh, yeah, we don't get to see it in this episode. Mm, too bad. Oh, shucks. <laughs> now we cut to the engine room next where Data is currently running scans on what looks like a hot pink Blackberry. Did you see these these scanners <laughs> yeah. they're using? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but really man. ahead of its time. I mean, this this aired in 1993 and even the the tricorder technology, the scanners and everything. I mean, it's it's very close to the smartphones that we're using today. So again, Star Trek having great foresight te- technologically. <laughs> 
it is interesting. Um, they uh, when they were making Enterprise, the more I think that's the most recent television series based on Star Trek. Yeah, that's the Scott be, Bakula one, right? Yes, and they had to be very careful because it's supposed to take place before the original series, but some of the technology that has been created since the creation of the original series, like in real life, actually is better than the technology that they had. So they had to like kind of find this weird middle ground between something that would be better than what we have now, but not better than what they had in the original series and still like look like interesting for, for people and not kind of that 60s retro future. Wow. Yeah, see, and I never watched that series, but yeah, that's going to be a, a tough line to toe. Yeah, because like we have... Like we have tricorders, like uh, you know, you can open your your smartphone, and you know, if the song is playing, you can tell what song that is based on the the waveform, or you can we can send like we're communicating digitally <laughs> through the air right now. So it's uh, uh, we've come a long way. Yeah, for sure. Very true. Now, Data explains to Jordy here that due to a program that he ins had installed nine months ago, he's had 111 dreams, but none were as strange and disturbing as this most recent one. And Jordy suggests that maybe it's just another level of the program, previously undiscovered. And Data tells Jordy that he's spending an inordinate amount of time thinking about this nightmare imagery and that he's almost preoccupied by it now. I have to give the actor that, that plays Jordy a whole lot of credit for having that enormous thing on his face <laughs> the whole time he's trying to act meaningfully, you know. That must have been the biggest pain in the butt in the entire planet. It doesn't even look very comfortable. <laughs> no. There's a couple of times where he switches to, like, milky white contacts, too. Yeah, that's that was oh, yeah. always, like, my least favorite part. Of yeah. that, of the episode, any episode. Uh, also, uh, Brent Spiner, like he wears that makeup in every single episode, so that, that can't too. Can, that can't be fun. No, I think Worf though, that poor guy, Michael Dorn, had the most <laughs> to <laughs> to endure. Yeah. So Jordy kind of just tells him it's nothing. It's that even for him, it takes a couple of days to get over a nightmare. And then we get uh, another character here. This is the ensign, uh, female ensign known as Tyler. And uh, she was actually on The Closer as of recently, so she's still working in television. But uh, she's very fond of Jordy, and she's giving him many compliments, and Jordy's not into it. He's feeling very uncomfortable. This is kind of another subplot that doesn't really pan out to mean anything. Yeah, it, it, it's another kind of red herring where you're like, oh, where's this subplot going to go? And usually when a character like that comes up, it's like they're going to die in the next scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, this is another episode as the, I think the next generation is very, compared to the original series, they don't, there's like a lot less action. There's a lot more like conceptual episodes. And this is a very heavy conceptual episode. So it is kind yeah. of like a fake out to have these um, red herring B plots, B and C plots, I guess. Oh, and uh, Gina Rivara is the actress's name, I should mention. Now, Data is about to share some more details about his nightmare, but they're interrupted by Captain Picard at the bridge, and they're about to begin the test. He makes the orders to go to set course for a distant starbase, but they're not moving, and they guess that there's a maybe a warp plasma conduit that's out of alignment, and when they try to fix it, all the power's lost to the ship, and they gotta take it offline. So then we cut to probably the most adorable moment of the episode... Where Data is studying an orange cat named Spot sleeping on a bed. It's just staring at him <laughs> <laughs> while he slept. <laughs> there are a few episodes with Spot, and they're all really great. Oh, so he's had him for a while then. I'm yes, I'm. Well, I'm not sure if this is the very first episode, but he just sort of appears um, eventually, and it's not like oh, you know, there's no episode where like Data gets a cat, even though that'd be. Uh, that's a pretty typical sitcom trope, but uh, yeah. he just sort of has Spot for some reason. And it, you can look up later, uh, he writes a poem about Spot later, and it's a very <laughs> data and very funny poem. Oh my God. That's great. Now, Counselor Deanna Troy, played by Marina Sirtis, enters the room, and Data explains to her that he's been watching Spot sleep, and he's talking about how many muscle spasms he had, and you know, that he must be having a dream even though he's never really experienced the life of a normal cat. Yes, he, uh, in short, he has a very boring life, so he can't have exciting dreams. Yeah. 
And uh, Troy explains that Jordy sent her in because, you know, he was concerned about uh, his troubling thoughts lately. And Data was debating whether or not to even try the dream, dream sequence again because of the nightmare. And then uh, Troy tells Data not to be worried about his nightmare, suggests that maybe there's a part of him that's trying to express himself. And she shares with him the Sigmund Freud quote, Dreams are the royal road to the knowledge of the mind. I guess that quote was just enough to sway him because then he tells her that he will initiate a dream program and uh, begins to. The best yawn ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really like that uh, Data, because he's you know able to, I guess, adjust his faculties at a moment's notice, he can just decide that he's going to sleep and dream at the drop of a hat. I'd give anything for that. That would probably be my superpower. <laughs> that would be pretty convenient, yes. And again, like Jaron was saying about Data trying to have the full human experience. He fluffs his pillow, gets under that weird thin purple blanket, and comedically, you know, yawns and smacks his lips and dims the lights, which all, none of that he really needs to do. He probably could just stand up and initiate the dream sequence. But he goes to sleep, and we cut to a close-up of Data's face, and he opens his eyes, and the camera moves back, and now we see that he's inside of one of his dreams. And... This one, he goes to, I don't know, what would you call this? Is this like the cafeteria, the mess hall of the ship? Uh, this is called Ten Forward, and it is where there's a, there's a number of scenes, and this is actually where, uh, I don't think Whoopi Goldberg is in this season, but Whoopi Goldberg is like a, um, a bartender, and this is kind of like the, uh, a bar for the, the crew to hang out. In, in this uh, bar, he sees Worf, played here by Michael Dorn, and he sits down to eat a slice of cake, with a Starfleet logo that he picks off the top of it. And Data asks him what type of cake it is, and Worf replies that it's a cellular peptide cake with mint frosting, and he finds it very delicious. Eating is not something I'm a huge fan of in, uh, in media. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's kind of exaggerated <laughs> in this point. And uh, once again, we hear the sound of a telephone ringing. And Data walks over to Dr. Crusher, drinking from a straw stuck in the side of Commander Riker's head. And uh, this is very disturbing. Oh, yeah. I That was probably the most bizarre thing I saw the entire episode. Besides the other thing we'll get to. One of the two things I found quite disturbing. <laughs> They're in a very odd position because, um, you know, uh, Frakes is just sort of like leaning his head on his hand, like his cheek on his, on his fist, strangely. Yeah. And uh, Beverly Crusher is drinking it like um like a milkshake but in just a very awkward manner <laughs> and it's like this glowy fluid this fluorescent gross <laughs> yeah i had in my notes that he was like a goateed capri sun <laughs> did you have capri sun in canada jaron yes we we, de we definitely do it's just such a weird scene so uh data then approaches three men surrounding a table and it's these same workmen i guess they're they're credited as just workmen that we saw at the beginning of the episode and they once again ignore data and he gets their attention again with that high-pitched tone and they tell him to be quiet and he stops and then he hands data this large knife and when, when data approaches the table we see that the cake is actually counselor deanna troy with her arms and legs cut off it's like her head is her head but her body her torso is in cake form and she pleads okay. with Data not to hurt her. And it doesn't look like a very appetizing cake at all. <laughs> no, no. No. Uh, it's like that mint frosting, and then they had to come up with some black frosting. Yeah. It's like licorice frosting or something. <laughs> so Data apologizes and begins to slice into her as she screams. And then we cut to Data lying down as he wakes up from a dream, and Troy's calling his name. And we see that uh, Troy, Worf, and Jordy are all in his room. And they tell him that he was late for work. Now, I guess Data, as an android, should have perfect chronological precision. He was supposed to wake up 35 minutes earlier. So now he starts to realize that something must be wrong. It's interesting because Data's always doing... He's running diagnostics. And then he... You know, there's always like a, another level of diagnostics that he can go to whenever the captain asks him to do that. And it's always funny. He's like... Oh, I've already ran a, a level three diagnostic, and then Captain Picard will ask him, "Oh, can is there anything else you can try?" And he's like, "Oh, I can run a uh, a beta wave scan of 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 my cellular net or whatever." And it's like, 
there's just an infinite number of, of scans that that data can do and they always take you know a little bit more time than the previous one <laughs> <laughs> now at this point the show goes into a commercial break so why don't we take this opportunity to take a break ourselves we'll pay some bills and we'll listen to a little bit of Bonaventure James new EP and we'll be right back these days I can't And we're back. Now, when we return from commercial here, Jordy is performing diagnostics on data, and there's really nothing wrong with him. And Jordy wonders if maybe it's just that the dream program was designed to make him oversleep from time to time. I guess, you know, again, giving him more of that human experience. I know I've overslept quite a bit. All the time. (laughs) And uh, Data still doesn't want to reveal what he's had these nightmares about. He doesn't want to speak anymore about any of the imagery. We then get a very strange cut to (laughs) Sigmund Freud at his desk. Yes. Now, before we go into this scene, basically what's going to happen is Data is going to talk about what happened in his dream. But I figured we could do a little bit of dream analysis ourselves, considering I've got this dream dictionary right beside me. Oh, (laughs) brother. This is, um, who is this written by? Uh, Teresa Chung. So, not Sigmund Freud, it's it's kind of, I've read through some of the things in here. It's a little bit arbitrary. But I figured since most of Data's dreams are violent, or, you know, involve dismemberment or eating your shipmate, <laughs> I figured I would look up violence because dismemberment was not a word in here, so. <laughs> Good, I hope dismemberment dreams are not uh, a common thing. All right, well, the start... (laughs) Yeah, I would hope not. That'd be terrible. Uh, The start to this violence category. Let me just read it out. If you have a dream where the conflict contains gruesome, explicit images of violence, try to relate these to your waking life. If you can't think of any waking parallels, consider the identity of your opponent in the dream. Is this someone you recognize? Or is it a hidden part of yourself? Was your opponent serious or lighthearted? So, I guess it makes no sense in application to data. I, maybe if you think about... Later in the episode, we realize the parasite that everyone has, and I suppose that that could be the opponent related to data's violence in his dream. Yeah. I wonder if cake is actually a word in here. I doubt it. This is... uh. <laughs> Again, I would hope not. I would hope cake dreams are not a, a common thing. Nope, not a word in here. I've, I've heard um, some friends tell me that uh, they often have dreams about their teeth falling out or breaking in their mouth. And it becomes a, it's like a very uh, stressful situation for them. And uh, I frequently have dreams about my hair falling out where, uh, you know, I'm looking in the mirror or whatever, and just, like, all of my hair is coming out. And that's, like, very, um, that's very indicative of, of maybe, like, my, my waking fears of, you know, growing old and losing my hair. But the, yeah, the dismemberment is very strange. Because I know whenever I dream about violence, it's usually the, the violence is inflicted, and then I kind of wake up before, you know, I'm, I'm able to witness my arms being pulled off. <laughs> Oh it's kind of like the the dreams where you have where you're falling and you kind of wake up before you hit the ground. Oh, man. You kind of hope you wake up before you're dismembered completely. I I've only had one dream in my whole life about dismemberment. And it was so horrible it stuck with me. Um, I was at the fair with my friend, and I don't know for some reason there was like this lizard in an arena, this fenced-in arena that my friend just decided to hop the fence and. <laughs> I don't know, play with the lizard or something. This was when I was younger. Um, but my my friend got cut all the way in half, like his torso from his the lower half of his body. So I, but it was like a cartoon, 
there wasn't any organs or anything because I didn't know better. It was like like a T-bone and a cartoon was the middle <laughs> section. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know what spurred that at well, all. Well, if anybody wants to analyze Lily's dream and get back to us, email us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. I'm sure she'd love to read your analysis. <laughs> So yeah, Sigmund Freud here talks to Data, and he tells him that he's experiencing a classic dismemberment dream, or in his case, a dismantlement dream. And it's spun as his mechanical self conflicting with, I guess, his human tendencies, and somehow that's tied within the ego and the id struggling for domination, which those are classic Freudian concepts. And uh, just to point out here, Sigmund Freud is played by Bernard Cates, and he is from Boston and has a lovely German accent. Oh, he has that accent for real? No, no. Just he's born in Boston. Oh, okay. No, he doesn't have one. Unfortunately, we don't get a blend of German and Bostonian. <laughs> oh, that would be something horrific. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like they did a really good job of um, like kind of giving a just like a little bit deeper than Psych 101 description of like Freud's ideas. Like they just kind of... You know, they hit on like the ego and the id and the uh, the dream analysis. And then from there, it's like I've maybe taken one um, psych class in my whole life. And uh, I, I feel like I have a, a, a more, <laughs> a, a deeper understanding than they kind of just glaze over. <laughs> yeah. And, and then uh, Freud here explains even further that the workmen are to signify the destructive id and... Then it gets really weird, where the devouring of Troy as a cake symbolizes Data's desire to possess his own mother. So I guess we kind of realize here that Freud is just a program, and he really doesn't know Data's background, because Data doesn't have a mother. And then he explains that maybe the knife suggests some shortcomings in the bedroom. <laughs> and Data explains, yeah, that doesn't apply to him. And Freud thinks, well, then that's your problem. It is very funny... Um... Like I've, I don't have a lot of, my only experience with psychology is, is essentially through sitcoms and television, but there is always that um, trope of like a psychologist sort of only saying things uh, that, that further their own, you know, they, they're essentially infallible. You know, you can't yeah. really, it's, it's always like, well, if that's the problem, then this is the problem. And it always ends up seeming like a scam just to get you to keep coming over and over again. Like you'll never truly be cured. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so even Data now is just like, all right, you're not helping me at all. Turns off the, the program, and we see that he was in the holodeck. Now, back at the bridge, Picard receives an incoming message from Admiral Nakamura. He's played here by Clyde Kusatsu, and who I best remember as Principal Edgar Shimata, the principal on Family Matters. Nakamura asks Picard why he's late for the Admiral's banquet, Picard tells him that, you know, honestly, they're having problems with the warp core right now and assures him that it's not another excuse because, again, Nakamura knows that Picard's been avoiding it for the past six years. So then Geordi calls from the engine room, tells the captain they're ready for another test. Once again, they set a course and once again, the engine fails. So Geordi and Data are running scans along with Ensign Tyler, who again has this big crush on Geordi in this weird subplot. Jordy hands Data what's known as a brace coil for him to run a metallurgical scan on it. And when he hands it to Jordy, we see that the brace coil is conveniently that black-handled serrated knife from his dream. This part really confused me because I'm like, is this what it's supposed to look like? Or is Data, you know, is Data having a hallucination or what? But I guess that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, this is like the, I, I've seen this episode, I guess, twice in, in maybe the past few months. And it was a, it was very strange because I didn't pick up on that either time. I, I just couldn't figure out why all of a sudden he had this knife again. And it, it troubles him to see it. And he, he tells Jordy that it's reminiscent of this element of his dream. And all of a sudden he turns to Jordy and we see this ferocious little needle tooth mouth or something coming from the back of his neck. Yeah, that was the second most disturbing thing. <laughs> <laughs> so data kind of just slowly backs off and again we hear the telephone ringing in the distance so again now we're we realize okay we're in a dream scenario 
as Data walks towards the sound, he's alone, and then Riker appears, and he still has that straw sticking out of the side of his head. Riker tells Data to answer the phone, and Data opens kind of like a chest cavity. It's almost like, it reminded me of Bender from Futurama, where he has that, that giant hatch in the front of his chest. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Again, another, as Jaron mentioned, Data being a convenient plot device, kind of like Bender. You know, he, he can have whatever attachment you need him to have to further the plot. That's true. And like in the pilot episode where he puts both his arms back on without having arms. Yeah. <laughs> Robots can do anything. That's that's what's so convenient about them. He opens up his chest and there's this like, I don't know, 1930s era phone inside. And he picks up and there's Freud on the other end telling him, kills them all before it's too late. I guess Data's interrupted by, like, you know, a hand on his shoulder. When he turns around, Jordy and Tyler are standing there, and he realizes he was talking into the brace coil like a telephone the whole time. And uh, so, yeah, it caused a, a weird, confusing moment for everybody. Yeah, I can't imagine how long he was standing there like that for. Like, just in a trance with this <laughs> knife-looking <laughs> object held up to his own head. Must have been alarming. What a, what a dangerous part to manufacture. For an engine. <laughs> yeah, it should have one of those, like, hazard labels on the end of it. It's like, gruesome <laughs> blade. So we cut to commercial, and when we return, Data is speaking to Troy now, and he explains that now he's seeing these dream elements even though he's awake. And Troy seems to think maybe it's just a technological problem. Data's starting to believe the Freud program that maybe there's some violence within him coming forward. I guess Troy figures, well, maybe it's uh, the beginning of a neurosis. And she tells him that even Freud said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. So then Troy tells Data that she wants to begin counseling him and advises him to shut off the dream program until they begin their sessions. There's a funny moment here where um, Data seems really excited to get more counseling. And he kind of jumps to like, oh, like every day. Which uh, reminded me of uh, another show that I'm kind of uh, obsessed with uh, is Monk. Uh, Adrian Monk has a lot of uh, psychiatrist scenes and he, you know, he wants to see him more and more and more and kind of has to uh, rein it in. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, very excited. In fact, I think even Troy comments like, you're the only person I've ever seen excited about the prospect of having a neurosis. And uh, so we get a very funny scene where Picard is, like, meddling about the engine room, trying to help the situation any way he can. And he's really being annoying. This is, like, kind of odd to see Picard as just, like, this annoying little kid that wants to, like, help. Which is very true. Yeah, this doesn't come up very often, uh, but uh, I think there's... Uh, to see uh, Picard, like, trying to, to put himself and, like, help, and he's, like, just trying to find anything that he can do to kind of move it along just to sort of show that he is interested in going on this to get to the Admiral's ball, but he cannot be of any help. <laughs> it's funny just to see like Jordy being like, no, 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 don't touch that. Don't touch that. It's funny just to think that Picard or I shouldn't say Picard, Patrick Stewart directed himself in this scene. So he's just like, all right, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to annoy you. Then I'm going <laughs> to go over here and I'm going to annoy you. And finally, Tyler comes in. She's finally useful in this episode. She gives Picard some menial task, like to move boxes or something in the back, much to Geordi's relief. <laughs> yeah, I never thought he'd leave. <laughs> and this whole time, as, as all this is happening, Data's looking down at the brace coil again, or AKA, I guess we can call it a knife now. He's looking down at it, like staring at it. And when Geordi turns to talk to Data at the end of the scene, Data's gone, along with the brace coil. Dun, 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 dun. Yes, because now now we kind of get our, our horror scene. We cut to Troy walking down one of the ship's corridors. Again, like Jaron mentioned, alone, where usually you'd see a bunch of people. And I guess she senses that someone might be behind her, but she continues. Yeah, she even does one of those turns like, oh, yeah. you know, like and you're expecting someone to be there. But... Yeah, she gasps and turns around and again, nobody there. So she enters, well, I guess it's called a turbo lift, not an elevator to go to deck 36 and just as the doors are about to close this pasty white hand comes in and prevents them yeah this is kind of like a a very typical horror scene and it was weird because she's like happy that it's data 
Oh, Data, thank God, and, like, doesn't even notice the knife <laughs> in his other hand that he's holding towards her, pointed directly at her. Yeah, and this is somebody she had just, I mean, we would assume it was only maybe an hour or two ago, like, just diagnosed this individual with a neurosis the, and had explained to her of these violent images, and now she's alone with this person, and, and she's so relieved to see him. I thought that was kind of strange. So yeah, he holds holds up the brace coil, tells her to hold very still, and repeatedly begins to stab her in that in the right shoulder. I don't know how she didn't die. I, <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's the end for the counselor. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting is this scene was actually edited by the BBC for uh, the airings of this in the UK to really cut down on the stabbings. I don't even know if they showed the, the actual stabbing. But it's one of the very few episodes of the series to receive that treatment in the UK. So we cut to commercial, and when we return, Riker's talking to Worf, and they walk down the corridor, and when they arrive at the turbo lift, the door's open, and there's Data just holding the bloody knife over Troy's collapsed body. There are two amazing lines. Uh, one's coming up a little bit later, and then there's one where Jonathan Frakes says, uh, or Commander Riker says, it's better than music. It's jazz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, for Lily's benefit and the listener, um, if you're not familiar, um, Commander Riker is a, a noted trombone player. And uh, it's like it's super, super silly. And every time he does it, it's just kind of embarrassing. Like I can I, I have to look away. I cringe when watching that episode. Um, <laughs> But he's got this, like, kind of, I guess maybe, like, in the late 80s and early 90s, jazz was really cool. But, like, yeah, no, it's it's quite funny. <laughs> I'll have to make sure I uh, check that out. So we then cut to Picard's desk, where Data explains that he just had this uncontrollable urge to eliminate the image that he saw. And what he saw was another one of these weird mouths, this time on Troy's shoulder. Jordy tells Picard he's going to run a sub-polymer scan, but it will take a while. And in the meantime, they relieve Data of his duties, and he's confined to his quarters. I am so surprised he didn't do more. <laughs> I mean, he stabbed one of his <laughs> crewmates. Basically, they're grounding him. Like, go to your room, son. Stay there for a while. Think about what you've done. You know? <laughs> so at the sick bay, we find out that Troy got stabbed, but now it's starting to heal. But it's not healing correctly, and she's breaking down at the cellular level. And it's because these weird, I don't know what you'd call them, they're like psychedelic vampire dust bunnies are on everybody. And they're, they're these weird <laughs> leeches that are breaking down the, the cells of not just Troy, but everybody on the ship. Everybody has them, except for Data, of course, because he's not human. Right. I thought that was, yeah, I thought it was kind of weird, though, that they are apparently affecting the ship, but not Data. Yeah, that is bizarre. And so finally, Picard catches up with the viewers, and they start to realize that there's a connection between these creatures and the imagery in Data's dreams, especially because of where they're located. The, Troy had one on her right shoulder. That's where Data felt the need to stab. So they get this idea that they're going to link his neural net to the holodeck. Basically, Data's going to have another nightmare, and Jordy and Picard are going to go in and experience it with them. So they're led back to this area. What was it called again, Jaren? Uh, Ten Forward. The and this is where Dr. Crusher is, again, enjoying some Riker aid. Worf is having his cake and eating it, too. And Data proceeds to carve up the Troy cake once again. Picard says, well, the cake and the mouth are symbols of consumption. And the phone rings again. This time, the call is for Captain Picard. And it's Sigmund Freud telling them to kill them all before it's too late. All of a sudden, we're transported to Sigmund Freud's office, where Freud himself tells the crew that he symbolizes Data's unconscious mind, giving him warnings. And <laughs> the workmen bust in, they shoot Freud, they kind of rearrange the office, and there's a hole in the wall again with the warp coil, and they begin probably the worst pantomimed hammering I've ever seen on television. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. bad. It's like you can tell the prop guys are like, all right, now don't really hit it. <laughs> and th this is the scene, uh, sorry, the previous scene was when um, Worf with his mouth full of mint frosting, <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> it's a cellular peptide cake. And he's like, with mint frosting, <laughs> and it's just like perfectly delivered. It's so funny. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and uh, cell- cellular peptides, I guess they have to do with amino acids. So it's basically, again, dr- breaking down everybody in the crew down to their essential chemicals. So Data tells him to stop and does that high-pitched tone again. And Picard says, oh, it's causing them pain. Continue. And they fall to the floor. Data then has conveniently an epiphany and he wakes up from his dream. So he tells Geordi to arrange his, what's called, I guess, a positronic subprocessor to emit an interphasic pulse. Geordi makes the necessary adjustments. And it's kind of funny because I'm looking at the time that's left in this episode and it's like, wow, they really got to wrap this storyline up. They only have a few minutes left. And we never really see it happening, but this IP pulse, it sweeps the ship and Crusher uses her scanner and says, oh yeah, it worked. (laughs) Miraculously, they're all dead. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking, I was re, redoing my notes, and there's like a lot in the earlier part of the episodes, and by the end, it's like they just they just rush through it. Yeah, that's what it seems like. So then we cut to an exterior shot of the Enterprise, and Picard's entering a supplemental entry into his captain's log, and explains, oh yeah, the creatures are completely gone, and the infestation originated within the warp core. Back at the engine room, Jordy explains to Picard that the conduit was manufactured on Thanatos 7, and it was created with a new process that somehow attracted the organisms to it. I mean, that's kind of the only explanation we get. Thanatos actually refers to the Freudian concept of the death drive, so they kind of tied it in that way. Yeah, yeah, and I I looked up a little more about that, and it's the instinct towards death, and it's the leading of organic life back to an, an animate state. So I was like, okay, well, I guess that kind of explains like what those leech, you know, those leech-like creatures were doing. But yeah, kind of a weird reference to sneak in there. Yeah, well, you know. And that's why I get my parts from the dealership. <laughs> <laughs> so Jordy tells the captain it'll take another six hours to create a new conduit. Picard realizes that the banquet will be completely over by then, and although Jordy offers to rush the process. Picard tells him, oh, no, he wouldn't want to sacrifice the safety of the ship. You know, take your time. After all of that. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, they could just make their own in six hours? I guess it's a conduit and not the core itself, but it's like, if you can make your own parts, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That tends to come up in Star Trek, you know, fandom where it's like, you know, if they could just make anything, why don't they? And, you know, some interesting screenwriter will always come up with some reason why they can or can't make Almost anything. And because this episode didn't have enough endings, we then finish with a scene where Data is playing with his cat, and Troy enters with a covered tray, and she tells Data that Turnabout is fair play, and presents Data with a cake in the shape of him. It's like, ugh. And then Data wonders what Dr. Freud would say about consuming oneself. Yes. Yeah, and Troy tells him sometimes a cake is just a cake. It's only auto-cannibalism, don't worry. Yeah, you know this, this horrible, confusing ordeal that we all had you know let's let's make fun of it in cake form (laughs) yeah this terrible thing and you definitely stabbed me here's a little memento the sugary sweet memento (laughs) Uh, and that's the end of the episode very very strange what what were your what were your thoughts on this episode guys you know there are a number of maybe more serious data episodes uh like there's an episode where they have to decide whether or not Data is property of Starfleet versus being a, a sentient being. Uh, and there, there are some more, uh, you know, deeper sci-fi. But this one, this episode is just a lot of fun. And it's silly and, you know, it does that thing that unfortunately happens in some of the later episodes where it, you know, spends... The, the bulk of the plot is in the first, like, 35 minutes and then they rush through the last 15 but it's it's kind of goofy and and I like it. Yeah, I I definitely have a similar opinion, especially it being my first introduction to Star Trek the Next Generation, which is a common theme of this podcast. But for it being the first episode I watched, I really like how quirky it is and the personalities of the different characters, especially Data and Worf, you know, I know we didn't quite go over it, but the uh, altercation when Data is giving Spot away to uh, Worf, <laughs> and Worf is like, "I will feed it." <laughs> yes, he won't call it pretty. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, very good show. I, it makes me want to go back and watch it from the beginning to really get a full 
understanding of it. Yeah, I, I had seen a couple episodes, but certainly not this one. And uh, it was crazy, but yeah, definitely a fun episode. And uh, I'm glad you suggested it, because it's probably one of those ones I probably wouldn't have gotten to. And I feel bad for Lily. The two episodes of Star Trek we made her watch was one where Spock kind of goes crazy, and this one where <laughs> Data kind of goes haywire. So I hope she realizes it's not all this outlandish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> So that'll probably do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, peptide cake recipes, whatever you got for us, at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at hittingplay, and we're also on Vine now. We have a, a Vine account. I don't know if we'll ever really use it that much, but... Now, Bonaventure, or Jaren, I have your new EP, Not By A Mile, and it's it's really great. And how, how would you describe your music for the uninitiated? Um, it's like lo-fi, kind of sad R&B. That's, that's kind of how I describe it. It's, it's really good. It's, a, it's, uh, some really interesting beats and especially, uh, listening to it on the, with headphones, it makes for a more interesting experience. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I believe my favorite track off the new EP is Space in Lost. That is definitely my favorite. Oh, thank you guys. And how can uh, people buy this? Uh, they can go to iTunes and search uh, Not By A Mile or uh, Bonaventure James. Uh, that's B-O-N-N-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E. Probably Google will give you uh, an outline of all the different ways. It's on Bandcamp. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, all the stores. Very good. And it's great. Everybody should get it. Thank you. And Lily, do you have any plugs? Uh, just my YouTube channel, LilyPution22. If you enjoy video games or watching people play video games, which is an interesting concept, but popular on YouTube right now, definitely check me out there. I am on Twitter, at MCNFriends. I'm also on Vine, MCNFriends as well. There I do little flip page animations. And please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. We try to make those creative. Well, we have been Bonaventure, a.k.a. Jaren, Lily and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, guys.